Hear that? It's the sound of you catching up on all the latest and greatest fintech news, trends, and updates thanks to Streetworthy, Yield Street's bi-weekly newsletter. Stay in the know with CEO Melinda Mahiri as he takes a closer look at what's happening in the fintech space, then breaks down what each story could mean for investors like you. Give your portfolio the edge it deserves and subscribe to Streetworthy on LinkedIn today. Welcome to The Yield, the official podcast of Yield Street. Every week, we bring you the latest market insights across our asset classes and products from subject matter experts. Our aim is to break the outdated mold of investing and help you add financial fuel to your ambitions through innovative investing products and strategies, typically unavailable to most investors. Realize your next level with The Yield. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. The views you are about to hear do not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street. This podcast is intended to be strictly informational and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a research report, investment advice, or the offer or sale of securities or any investment product. Now, let's get into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Yield. Make sure to subscribe to the show and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube, and leave a review if you're enjoying the content. In case we haven't met before, I'm your host, Peter Kerr. I'm the Senior Director of Product Marketing here at Yieldtreat. Today, I'm joined by King Bless, a blockchain consultant, co-host of the Gentlemen's of Crypto Daily News Show, and co-creator of the KRBE Digital Assets Masterclass. Quite a lot there, King. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> How are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Obviously, it seems like you're up to, to quite a bit, but maybe before you know jumping into all the things that you do do, you can walk everyone through a little bit about you know uh, kind of how you got to where you are and a little bit about yourself. Cool. No problem. So uh, I'll keep it super short. I grew up playing football. Uh, I ended up getting a scholarship to play football at North Carolina State University. That's where I met my business partner. He was there getting a real degree. I don't know, something about computer science or something. I don't know. Uh, I got me a couple of humanities degrees at the time. Uh, again, I played football, so I was there all summer. Went to college early, got a political science degree, criminology degree, graduated, moved back home to Detroit, Michigan, where I'm originally from, started coaching, uh, basically like Pop Warner PAL football. Uh, but at the time I was actively getting recruited by the military, I ended up going to the military. Initially, I went for the BUDS program, Navy SEAL, trying to get all crazy. That didn't work out for me. I ended up becoming a PR officer, basically a public relations, uh, public affairs officer for the Navy. So I'm shaking hands, kissing babies across the world. I'm meeting a lot of CEOs, Congress people, senators, a lot of people with money. Around the same time in 2013, uh, when I, I joined the military in 2011, but 2013, Wolf of Wall Street comes out. This is the first time I even found out anything about Wall Street. I'm like 24, 25 years old. I know it sucks. I knew nothing about Wall Street. My whole life had been uh, football and humanities, essentially. Like that was it, political science and football. So I found out about Wall Street and I'm just like, oh my God, like if, you, if I could do this type of trading, but not trying to scam people, I can do well. Like I'm, I'm smart at this type of stuff, putting pieces together, uh, so on and so forth. So initially I was thinking about trying to go get the traditional route, get an MBA, going to Wall Street, blah, blah, blah. But in 2016, my business partner, again, my college buddy, Isaiah Jackson, the co of course, the uh the author of famous bitcoin and black america book he threw up on uh on his facebook at the top of 2016 like i'm done talking to people about bitcoin forget all of you and i I'm, i hit him up I'm like hey man like are you still the same guy from back in the day he's like yeah are you the same guy i'm like yeah like what's this you know about bitcoin he's like yeah i know about it i'm like i've always been into it i'm a technologist i grew up playing games computers in the house since 97 i was a kid uh, and I was like, I've always been interested in Bitcoin, but I didn't have anybody to explain it to me. So he tells me about the white paper, he breaks it down. And I'm like, hey, 
I was considering doing some traditional business uh, in the market, but we can just do that business with crypto. So essentially in 2016, we both uh, opened up a consulting business, Kirby Digital Assets Group, where we're consulting about Bitcoin and crypto as a whole. At that time, it was like less than a hundred cryptocurrencies. Essentially news articles were scaring all of our clients every day. And essentially we found ourselves on the phone for about 15 hours a day. Uh, talking to clients about news articles. So we said, hey, how can we streamline this and talk to our clients at once? And then that's where the YouTube channel came from. It was like, at the time, there may have only been one or two, three other channels out there. No one was really doing daily analysis and kind of giving you the background on what's going on in the market. So we decided to kind of take that step forward. And since then, of course, as birth you know, appearances on Dr. Phil, Fox, CNBC, so on and so forth, as people have realized throughout the years that we kind of know what we're talking about when it comes to space and we, we thoroughly enjoy it. So uh, from there, we create master classes, books, and so on and so forth. And uh, here we are on that journey on episode 982 today. Oh God, so when does episode 1000 come? Uh, we, we've been trying to slow it down <laughs> because we, yeah, we got a lot of stuff planned. So this is the first time we're really taking days off a lot so we can slow it down. But hopefully episode 1000 will be in the next three to four weeks uh, once we have some time to plan for it. I imagine it'll be a big show for you guys. Um, I, yes. I got to ask, because you said it and um, it seemed like quite the deviation, but you, know, you enter the military, you're trying to go Navy SEAL and you end up being kind of a, a PR person. How come your journey pivoted? So uh, essentially at the time, uh, it was in 2010, 2010, 2011, if you remember the movie Act of Valor came out, it's like this big Navy SEAL movie. Actually, the main character ended up being my first boss when I got in the military, it was hilarious. It was like, bro, he's in the movie, like, cause they use real Navy SEALs and they were still active duty at the time. Uh, but no, so they were recruiting athletes and different types of people around the world, just basically to keep this story short. Uh, they wanted different types of people, spoke different languages, looked different ways, everything. And basically they were like, hey, the Navy SEALs, you won't be able to tell a Navy SEAL when you meet one, basically. That program was working. I was going into my second class, but I was already there for a year. And essentially I was about to get rolled into my third class and I was just like, no moss, I've had enough through injury and stuff. Uh, but at the time when I first got into the military in the Navy SEAL program, if you're an officer, essentially you can't start class immediately. There's like a six month wait. So while I'm waiting, you basically do SEAL training every day. It just doesn't count. And uh, at the time I met this, uh, this PR lady, I'm like, wait, what do you do? And she's like, she's telling me her job. I'm like, Yo, I didn't even, again, I just found out about Wall Street. I didn't even know PR was a real thing, okay? I've been playing football my whole life. So when she told me about PR, honestly, I swear that was the end already. It was already in the back of my head, like, that's what I want to do. So again, uh, the SEAL thing didn't work out. Initially, I was going to get out the military, but they do try to save good officers in different programs. Uh, and the PR program is one of the toughest programs to get into in the military outside of Navy SEALs and pilots. The SEALs signed off with me. They said he's a competent person. I started essentially volunteering. Things work very well, to say, in the, uh, in the lease. And they were like, yeah, this is where you're made to do for us. So that's what ended up working out for me. And you've brought it up now twice, so I got to ask. You seem very impressionable to movies. Um, it seems like they really influence uh, what you decide to do with your career. So, what, what what's the most recent movie you've seen, and where do you think you're going next? So, the most recent movie I saw, I don't even know the name of it. It was some robotic and uh, future-focused tech AI movie. We were actually talking about that today. I do think robots would be a big part of our world, or at least machine learning and AI. You're talking about self-driving cars and stuff. So, that's a lot of stuff I thought was pretty cool. Uh, and then, of course... You know, one of the things I did to combine with my crypto and Bitcoin journey was I jumped out here in Hollywood. So I do commercials and all that stuff for fun. Helps pay the bills and it helps me keep stacking sats even when the market's low. So yeah, it was just one of those natural things I got into. I really like. No, very cool. All right. So so to jump in, obviously, you know, you you spend so much of your time talking to your clients and of course talking to others um, about what's going on in the crypto market. 
the term being thrown around most often that we hear is a crypto winter. What does that mean? Why is that? Why why are we now talking about a crypto winter as opposed to a drawdown like you might talk about in the S and P five hundred or in equities? How do you kind of square away all this? Sensationalism. I mean, yeah. it's, it's literally sensationalism. Whenever you see something sensationalized in this market or hyperbole or whatever, usually the people who are doing it aren't that educated, or they are educated and they're literally doing it intentionally. Like. It's just sensationalism. Uh, the whole crypto winner thing, again, sensationalism, it's not even really a crypto winner, depending on when you enter the market. I mean, I remember when 20K used to be, wow, we're making great progress. Uh, one thing we always say in this market, specifically when it comes to Bitcoin, but other projects as well, is that price does not determine value. It doesn't matter. Like literally just looking at the uh, NBA finals that just happened, Golden State Warriors, won the championship. They've won many championships before. Their big three, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green together have never lost a series. Yet, to the odd makers in Vegas, they thought they were going to lose. Even up until the finals games, as they started winning games, they're like, they're still going to lose. Warriors win the championship. What happens like within 24 to 48 hours? Next year, they're not even the favorites. The people who just won aren't even the favorites to win next year. Price does not equal value. It's the same thing in Bitcoin. The code has been strong. The blockchain has been strong. We're making new updates every day. There are people working behind the scenes for free. Nothing has made Bitcoin less valuable today than what it was six months ago and prior before that. If anything, it's more valuable. So we're seeing right now that the price and sensationalism means nothing to Bitcoin. Not only that, for those who are really here for Bitcoin, the technology, there will only be 21 million of them. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. The price doesn't matter because right now you're still trying to equate it in fiat terms. But who's to say it's, it's worth $20,000 and not 500,000 rupees or 600,000 euros? That's why we're going Bitcoin. We're going to the Bitcoin standard because one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. And then kind of along those lines, so you know, crypto winter, to your point, is kind of like, again, it's a name being thrown out there, but it really doesn't mean much around adoption. It's really just around price action in terms of what the fiat equivalent value is of Bitcoin. Yeah, it's just it's just a bear market. It's just saying, hey, we're in a bear market right now. The price isn't pumping. You got to remember, like, in this market, people don't even get excited about 15 to 20% a month anymore. They want to see, like, they got to get the 300s and the 100s and all that good stuff. So when that isn't happening or we're at a standstill or even worse, you know, we are in a bear market and it's diving, then the sensationalism comes. Bitcoin is dead. Crypto is dead. Crypto winner, whatever other keyword, buzzword you can come up with, they'll come up with it. So then how do you think about it in terms of like, okay, so, you know, there's obviously been a price reset for, for Bitcoin. It's hard to ignore. How do you kind of equate... And again, you use the term kind of value versus price, but how do you kind of equate the experience now knowing that, you know, again, it was 60,000 or so, you know, some months ago, did that feel bubbly to you? Did it feel like that was like more closer to fair value for what you thought? Or do you kind of feel like now, again, we're getting maybe in a little bit more of a territory where this is closer to current fair value, although there's what you would believe, I imagine, significant upside? So we haven't got close to fair value first. So a few things I do want to point out, and this is recorded like last year, I called the top. I was closer than anyone in the market. I said $75,000 top. I thought that we had already overextended. The reason why we pumped so much to begin with had a lot to do with the free money the U.S. and other countries were pushing out during COVID. Once that money wore off, I figured the market was going to wear off. I said 75000 I think we hit 71, 72. This year in January, I called a low already. I said we'll hit a 17000 17, flash crash, which we did as well. So I'm pretty good when it comes to price indicators and value. So to be fair, 
Bitcoin is value is nowhere where it's going to be at anyway. Again, there's only 21 million of them. So you can't even like, our minds can't even begin to price it in fiat currency. So the fact that we're trying to say it's 60,000 there, 20,000 a day, like essentially the majority, so there's over, there's over 18,000 cryptos right now. The 99% of them shouldn't be here. All that money should be rolled up into Bitcoin right there. Even looking at Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SV, Bitcoin ABC, all that money should be in Bitcoin, that capital value. So we're not like, we won't even get to a fair value. Why? Because everyone's trying to recreate the wheel uh, and think their projects and that's the best thing. So I think that will always subtract from the value. Um, as far as like how I feel about it now, again, to me, there's two different, two separate investment strategies or strategies in general in this space, which we try to identify and make sure people have identified themselves. You're either here for fiat currency, that is you want more money, you don't care nothing about Bitcoins, the future, crypto, whatever. I got bills. I'm here for more money. That's fine. But you need to have a fiat strategy. If you're here for Bitcoin, every move you do will be different. What I mean is, if you truly believe that Bitcoin is a reserve currency and the technology around it and blah, 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 then every move you make will say, I'm just doing this to get more Bitcoin. You don't care about the prices, 20,000, 50,000, 60,000. You're in the back of your head, you're saying, I'm doing whatever trade I'm doing to accumulate more Bitcoin because in 10 years, the price will be so high, it won't matter. Now, if you're just here for fiat currency, then that price does start to matter a little bit. You do pay attention to these things and you do have a different trading strategy. And if that's the case, I tell people, you might want to think about becoming a full-time trader because it's very difficult to know when to take profit in this space. And the thing is, if you are here for fiat and you're taking profit, that's fine. Just remember, hey, if you take profit at 60K, yeah, Bitcoin could be 20K one day or the next day it could be 100K and you'd be buying back in at a higher price. So. For us, you have to identify you're here for fiat currency or Bitcoin. Uh, if you're here for Bitcoin, then the fiat price, you don't even worry about it because your whole idea is to accumulate more Bitcoin. If you're here for fiat, then yes, you do need to take profit. You do need to practice traditional uh, trading, uh, you know, trading metrics and ethos. And, and so there's been a lot of more like a cleansing in the market for maybe some of these projects and stable coins and such that maybe on the merits didn't have as, as, as strong of a foundation as maybe uh, people had believed. How much pressure do you think those type of situations like the Lumas, et cetera, are causing both in terms of perceptions of Bitcoin and also actually functionally in terms of the need to liquidate out of Bitcoin in order to you know help support some of these projects? Yeah, so perception is killing the perception of Bitcoin and crypto because people are looking at these projects like it lost money or they're not working. So Bitcoin is there, crypto is there. And it's like, no, the project is dead. I called Terra Scam months ago before it blew up and literally got attacked on uh, Twitter and comments and everything and blah, blah, blah. I doubled down, got attacked more. But it's just like, again, everyone's trying to recreate the wheel. They're trying, they, they feel like they're too late for Bitcoin, which people are not too late for Bitcoin as far as an investment vehicle or as a technology, but people feel like they're too late. So they keep trying to reinvent the wheel. Well, maybe we add more buzzwords in this project, 20% a month or whatever. But when you really do the research, these projects are, are really trash. They're really trash. So it's one of those things where the perception, since these projects are tanking after people find out they're trash, it definitely affects uh, the bottom line of Bitcoin and the narrative around it. Uh, and then from like, yeah, uh, an actual fundamental perspective of what it's doing, it does cause the market to crash. It scares people. That institutional money now gets taken out. We were just talking about 3 capital today. They have what, $559 million in Terra that ended up being worth $650. So yes, if you have a venture capital fund with $559 million in a trash project, 
that turns around to be worth 650, then yes, everybody who put their money with you and everyone looking at you will get get out of the crypto market, which is what's happening right now. Thus, this crypto winner you have right now. But when you actually look at the projects, specifically Bitcoin, nothing's changed. Nothing has changed for it to be a crypto winner. It's just that the people with money are, are making the wrong moves and they're making us all pay for it. And so uh, along those lines, you know, judging the projects on the merits, right? Obviously, it sounds like you're a very big proponent of Bitcoin. Haven't heard any thoughts of yours yet on Ethereum, but kind of curious, like even going on with some of those projects built off Ethereum, like to you, are there, does it make sense that there's a viable 10, 15 type projects that are out there? And again, projects aren't the right term, right? Like some of them, um, you know, it's probably bigger than that. But walk me through maybe outside of Bitcoin, how you see the rest of the ecosystem evolving and what do you think um, is sustainable? So I'm with you on that. No, we can call them projects. So yes, there is a 10 to 15. This is where we're about to get into this whole fiat versus Bitcoin. You got to kind of know what you want and and what type of person you are. When you start looking for fiat gains, like I just want money. I want to be cash rich. You really got to kind of consider being like at least like a part-time trader because uh, it's very difficult to know when to take profit. So the 10 to 15 X, what I say across the board, whatever project you're looking to get into, have your number, have the, whether there's 30%, I'm gonna sell and take profit, get out, where there's 10%, 100 or 300, whatever, just kind of have an idea of what you wanna do to get out. Few things, right now is the best time to get into these projects. Here's the bad news. (laughs) 99% of the projects are shit. They're trash, I don't know, I can use profanity, my fault. They're terrible, they are super terrible and they will not last. Bitcoin is supposed to be the future of the economy. Bitcoin reserves, Bitcoin backed X, Y, and Z. The most of these projects aren't the future of anything. The only reason they exist is because it's too hard to build on Bitcoin to create them. That's why Ethereum really came about. They said, hey, it's it's very difficult to build on Bitcoin, the coding language, whatever. Maybe we'll just go over to Ethereum where it's way easier for people to develop and build. People did that and then so on and so forth. You have all these other tokens and coins out there. Now I'll say all that to say, again, long-term, most of these projects won't survive. They're all tethered to Bitcoin, which means if Bitcoin, that price goes down, your project's price will go down as well because it can't stand on its own too. Now for the 10 to 15 uh, X's for the projects, yes. They're there, but you just have to understand that they're pump and dumps. They are seriously pump and dumps. For example, Dogecoin always pumps and dumps. It's, everybody thought it would go to the dollar. That was crazy to even begin when we look at the market cap. But since it's dump, for projects like that, yes, they probably will pump again once the price of Bitcoin pumps as well. Like everything will follow Bitcoin once it rises that tide, all other boats will float as well. Projects I would say to look into are layer two projects. So right now you spoke about Ethereum. Biggest thing going on Ethereum is the gas fees, essentially transaction fees. It costs a lot to transact on that network. So there's a lot of competition popping up. Where that's where you see Solana was a really good competitor until they've been having a lot of network outages. So if they can fix their network outages, you can still see a easy seven to 10 time return on that. Cardano, Cardano is another big one. They have promise after promise after promise. They haven't developed a product yet, which is why we know it's gonna be a pump and dump. However, the full pump hasn't happened yet for some people. So Cardano is another one. Again, I don't stand by any of those two, but as far as the returns, Aave, you started talking about Aave, Polygon, Matic. 
anything that's a layer two network, for those who understand layer one is the main blockchain like Bitcoin or Ethereum. A layer two are the side chains that help it transact faster and more efficient without using those, those expensive transaction fees. So anything that's essentially trying to make these layer one blockchains more efficient, stronger and cheaper to use, then you can pretty much guarantee a lot of capital is gonna flow to those. Uh, and then last but not least, some of the newer DeFi projects. Right now it's tough to give project names because we're seeing them kind of fall and falter in front of us. Uh, but again, if you believe in any of them and they can make it through this quote unquote crypto winter, then they will pump once Bitcoin pumps again as well. So I, I want to follow up with this then because I, we, we've had uh, quite a few folks on from, you know, or at least with, you know, some experience or specialization in kind of crypto, um, you know, Web3, DeFi, all related in some sense, all slightly nuanced in some other senses. How would you go about describing all of them? It's always interesting to hear each person's uh, different take on them, if you will. Short version, DeFi, um, decentralized finance. Again, basically algorithm, algorithmic uh, led protocols. So I don't need a banker or a government. I don't need a third party or another human being to say, you can take this loan now. Uh, you can do collateralized loan in crypto where, again, you talk about your Ethereum or Bitcoin, you stake your Ethereum or Bitcoin, you put it on a platform, you get cash back for it, and you can pay it off when you want. You can do all that without a human saying, yes, you're allowed to take this loan and this is when you need to pay back. You can do it on your own. So I think DeFi is going to be huge and popular because again, that allows algorithmic led protocols. When it comes to, uh, what's the other one? Web3, Web3, I feel like Web3, Web2.0 was just social media, uh, more interaction, us actually being on and using the internet, being a part of it. Web3, I think will be the immersion of it. Like. We can make money online, we live online, we can get paid by anyone on the planet online, we can run our own platforms. I do think that's the next thing with Web3, but I think we're getting a little bit too excited because we will see regulations around it and I think that's going to stifle innovation in a, in a very large way. Uh, so those are the two main differences between those. In terms of, uh, you mentioned uh, regulation, what is it you sort of see on the horizon? Okay, so Web3 will, and it can work. We already saw signs of it with ICOs, and right now we're seeing it with DAOs. Uh, essentially, so Web3, what allows you to do as a human being, you can become your own organization and platform literally overnight, right? Uh, that social media following you have on Instagram is now it's just not Instagram. It, it's across all platforms, and everyone can pay you, and everyone can interact, and it's frictionless, essentially. Well, if that's possible, that means one person or a group of people can become very valuable. That means you and I, if we wanted to, we had enough supporters and everybody out there, they can say, hey, let's, let's give Yield Street and Kirby Digital Assets Group $150 billion. You all do what you want with it. Maybe I want a Navy. You know, I was in Navy. Maybe I want a Navy. Maybe you want to change the way the economy works. Like, no, that's that's not happening. Right? Uh, and with that type of resources, you do have the power for that to happen. The only way to uh, to really attack that early on is to scream out national security. These people are skirting taxes. We don't know who's giving you this money from what country, KYC, AML, so on and so forth. Like no one's gonna get away with using Web3 technology, become their own DAO and being worth hundreds of millions and billions of dollars and Uncle Sam not get his cut. Like that's not happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I hear you on that. So kind of when you think about what, what the horizon holds, what are kind of some of the next things that you think uh, one or both catalysts for, you know, and I, I always come back to this because again, you know, to you, price and value are not uh, equal, but catalysts, at least for those that do have uh, a care for the fiat equivalent price, 
uh, in order to see you know Bitcoin and obviously the ecosystem stabilize and then maybe even rebound? And then two, what do you think are some of the technological innovations that you think will allow Bitcoin to become much more immersed in our kind of day-to-day lives? Okay, uh, so I'll start with the second one first. Uh, technological innovations that allow Bitcoin to become more immersed. So it's one of those things where if it, if it does, great, but even if it doesn't, it's not the end of the world because we're already starting to see it being used on the back end of blockchain and stuff. It's kind of going to be like email. Like no one knows how TSP, you no know, transmission secure protocols work. Nobody knows how the internet works, how email works, HTML, how to code, Java, CSS. The average person don't know how these things work. They can't explain it to you. It's going to be the same thing with Bitcoin. You might not know how it works. You might not be able to explain it. You might not even feel like you're using it, but I think it will be on the back ends. Banks, businesses, governments. And the reason why is because it just makes more sense. Uh, it's easier to use, it's more efficient, and the transaction fees are lower. So, Worst case scenario, you won't even notice it. Best case scenario, they'll do things like they're working on something called Schnorr signatures. So you don't have those long public and private addresses anymore. They're easier to read. So I think the, the more, the easier we can make it for the user experience to where, hey, I don't have to type in this long ass address to figure out who I'm sending my money to. I can leave notes on different transactions sent as it becomes as easy for your grandmother or grandfather to use. That's when I think we'll see more adoption. As long as it remains jargon heavy and just as difficult as it is right now and very technical, uh, I see it being slow adoption. Now, again, on the fiat side, for those people who are like, all right, all cool, cool, cool. We want to make some money though. I understand. Uh, this is what I was saying. This is not, of course, financial advice in any means. I always say this is the way I do my portfolio and some of the things I look at. All right, first and foremost, everything follows Bitcoin. Bitcoin goes down, everything's gonna go down. Everything goes up, it's gonna go up. So a couple of things. Every, the market will rebound. Worst case scenario, it will rebound in 2024, 2025. And in general, that's where you should be structuring your portfolios from. Why? Because in 2024, is that happening again? It happens every four years. The last one was in 2020. The one prior to that was in 2016. Essentially, the amount of Bitcoin that can be created every 10 minutes gets cut in half. Natural supply and demand will kick in. We saw this in 2016, 2017. Literally, uh, Bitcoin went from about 400 to 20,000. We saw it again in 2020 to 2021, where Bitcoin went from about 20,000 to almost 60,000 or whatever. Uh, and we will see it again in 2024 and 2025. So first things first, structure your portfolio for 2024, 2025 for the happening. Second thing is, I would say, again, I understand people wanna make fiat, Go 70% at least Bitcoin uh, and the rest and the rest altcoins. The reason why is because when Bitcoin does re regain that $70,000 price mark, or whatever, the altcoins will not immediately follow. Some of them will actually go down even further because a lot of that capital will be going toward Bitcoin when people start to see it make its move. That altcoin value will dip even further for certain projects. As soon as Bitcoin starts to regain that value is when the altcoins will shoot up. And that's when you do have your opportunities for these seven to 10 times to 15 time uh, gains. So with that 30%, Find the altcoins you like, the ones that make sense. Again, if it's a layer two for Ethereum, that makes sense. You know, the Aves, the Maddox, find those and then start to throw your 30% into those smaller cap coins there. Yeah, no, that all makes a lot of sense to me. You know, King, I want to turn it back over to you. Any any kind of final thoughts or, or parting, uh, you know, wisdom you share? Really do the education and research. I was talking to somebody yesterday and they were telling me about Dogecoin. I was like, well, like, what makes it different in Bitcoin? Why do you like it? Like, tell me. And they're just like, uh, returns, bro. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's cool. But 
again, when these things happen, when three arrows capital becomes insolvent and 600 or $559 million equals 650 and Terra Luna collapses and the whole market follows, then your shit coin will follow as well. So you need to know what you're in, make sure it has a good use case. And if you can actually use a token or a product, you can actually transact with it or do something with it. then that's a good, like ideal that, Hey, this thing might actually work. Uh, if it does actually work and it has some use case then you can pretty much like bank on when the market recovers, that project will recover as well. Okay. And, and, you know, just remind everyone else, how can they kind of, um, you know, follow you or learn more about, uh, you know, what it is you do and your team does kind of on a regular basis? Cool. The best way to follow us is on YouTube, The Gentleman of Crypto. We are on Monday through Friday uh, at 7 a.m. PST, 10 a.m. Eastern, every day for about 30 minutes, just talking about the market, giving you a quick analysis and update with the top stories. And we also have a digital assets masterclass. It's officially a year old now. People love it. We cover everything in this space A to Z, whether you're trading, swapping, collateralized loans, Bitcoin pay servers, NFTs, we cover the entire market in this class, 12 hours, 14 modules. Okay, perfect. King, thank you so much for joining us today. And of course, thank you to all of our listeners. Remember to visit Yieldtreat.com to learn more about our offerings. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so you never miss a show. And of course, thank you and see you again next week. Much appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Yield. For the latest updates on the alternative investing space, go to YieldStreet.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts as this will help other investors like yourself find our show. If you have any questions, please visit us at YieldStreet.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. The Yield Street podcast you just heard only reflects the opinions of the host, who is an associated person of Yield Street and does not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street or any of its affiliates or other associates. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any security and is not an offer or sale of any securities or investment product. The podcast is also not a research report and is not intended to be and should not be construed as investment advice. Support for this podcast comes from Yield Street. Trying to time the stock market can lead to regret. At Yield Street, our alternative investments are designed to create predictable secondary income streams, providing you with tools to help put your money to work immediately. These investments in asset classes like art, real estate, and legal finance typically have low correlation with the stock market and target annual yields up to 7 to 10%. Welcome to the next generation of investing. Welcome to Yield Street. Sign up today at YieldStreet.com.